Now, if you have your Bibles, please would you open to 1 Timothy, uh, 1 Timothy chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be starting in uh, verse 17. Uh, this morning, we are on a journey through 1 Timothy. We took a break during our Christmas season, and last week we got back into 1 Timothy. Um, and to, today we want to deal with the subject that Paul writes to young Timothy, the young pastor at the church called Ephesus, about um, how elders honor the church and how the church honors elders. And so how do churches and elders honor each other is where we want to land today. You may have come here today um, and you're a visitor who is not in the habit of coming to church. Um, perhaps it's been a long time since you've been in church because uh, you've had a bad experience with leadership in church or you've kind of read in the media, you've watched how churches, uh, church leaders have behaved and you've just thought, that is nuts how, how people do things like that. Um, and, uh, and Paul writes to Timothy because he wants Timothy to, to hang a plumb line of how elders are supposed to behave in church, what they're supposed to be doing in church, what their character must look like, chapter 3 of 1 Timothy, and what do we do when they do something wrong? What, how do we ensure that we're supporting leaders? How are leaders ensuring that they're supporting people? So this is a two-way street. This. this is not just, okay, church, this is how you should be treating elders. Because sometimes things can go wrong. And I thought I'd show you a couple of pictures of where things can go wrong. Here's one of them that recently happened. Um, unfortunately, what we discovered in the scriptures is it does not say if anybody's sick, let him come to the front where the elders can spray doom on them. But that's exactly what happened in that church. Some of you may have read the stories in the newspaper. Um, and so I haven't gone around to try to find churches I want to slam. This was openly in the newspaper, and it's in the media. Um, and, uh, and this guy over here is spraying, spraying doom on people, claiming that it would heal them in their face and also on other parts of their bodies that are um, infected or sore that he's praying for, for healing over. Here's another one. Um, this uh, pastor, when he was, and I say pastor quite loosely because pastor doesn't really do stuff like that, um, what this guy did is uh, he gave somebody something to drink. Um, it's petrol that he's giving them to drink over there. And to show that it was petrol, he poured it into a container, poured some of it into a container, set it alight, it burnt, and then he gave the person petrol to drink so that they would uh, be healed. Um, when he was asked why he did this, because he was charged by the commission for, um, I think, religious rights, I think that's what it's called, they asked him why he did that. This was his response. He said, well... He said, you, uh, you, you tell your congregations, we're many denominations here, you tell your congregations that uh, they're drinking the blood, the blood of Jesus and uh, the body of Jesus, but you know that it's not the blood and the body of Jesus, it's just grape juice and bread. And so I told them the same thing. And so he gives them petrol to drink and he tells them that God's going to heal them like that. Um, that same guy, um, this is his congregation, this is what they would typically do after the service, People are not lying down and sleeping there. You might not be able to see so well. They're actually eating the grass. He, he tells his congregation to go and eat the grass outside the church. That is leadership abuse. That's what we're talking about. That, that elders in the church should have called that man to account and said, you're not doing this again. That should not be allowed to happen in churches. Because what happens is the government, our government has looked on that over there and said, Man, we need to regulate the churches. Look what these guys are doing to our people. And rightly so. Look what they're doing to our people. But not all churches are doing that. You know, we, we read that scripture in James. It says, if anyone's sick, let him come before the elders of the church and they'll anoint them with oil and pray that they be healed. So what we did is we took oil. 
because the Bible says, and it's not car oil, it's just olive oil, you know, just, and, uh, and it, we're not going to make you drink it. We literally just put it on your head and pray because that's what the Bible says. But these guys have gone another step and these elders haven't been held accountable for what they're doing and the elders are not holding the leaders accountable. And so what Paul is writing to Timothy about here is this, that kind of stuff can't happen. And so Timothy, we need to put some, some measures in place here that elders can be accountable that people can be accountable, that people don't abuse elders and elders don't, don't abuse people uh, in, in their congregations. So let's start reading in, uh, in chapter 17 of 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you don't have a Bible, the words will be uh, behind me. Here we go. Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those whose, who labor in preaching and teaching, let the elders who rule well. This is important. It's not just let the elders. It's let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor. There's, there's, a, there's a level of workload that a, an elder who rules well does. Um, the, the word literally means he spends himself for the sake of the gospel, rules well. He tires himself out for the gospel. It's not just he shows up on time and leaves on time. It's he tires himself out. He rules well um, for the sake of the gospel. Let him be considered worthy of double honor. Generally, those who rule well, considered worthy of double honor, especially those whose work it is to preach and teach. So at this time, while Paul was writing to Timothy, um, it's clear there that there were, there were elders in church, but there were also those elders who were set apart for the specific word of preaching and teaching, what I'm doing, right? In the world that we live in today, um, as churches have grown and are not the same size as they were in those days, we might have somebody whose life is set apart for preteen ministry. There's Ian. He's on that side. His, his life is set apart to preach and teach the gospel to preteens. That's what he does. Uh, my job is to lead and teach. That's what I do. Anthea's job is worship and, and helping to be strategic with our ministry leaders. Simone looks after finances in the life of the church. We've all responded to a call from God to serve the church and be paid for serving the church so that we don't have to go do another job. So I didn't have to come home yesterday after working in, in a factory and from 7 o'clock until 5 o'clock and then come home and spend time on my sermon. The church pays me expecting that I'm going to put good time into my prep from at least 8 to 5 normally unless something happens and then I have to do it overtime like you. And I get paid for that. Nikki gets paid for that. Ian gets paid for that. And what he's saying is let those who rule well receive double honor. Now we'll get to what that, that could mean um, just now. For the scripture says you shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain and the laborer deserves his wages. Paul's quoting from two texts here, one in the Old Testament, one in the book of Luke. It shows us this, that already by the time Paul wrote this, which is it's still the first century, he's considering the writings of Luke to be scripture. All right, so if you, if you follow how the scriptures were put together and how um, the, 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 the books of the Bible were compiled, Paul, who wrote Timothy, is now quoting another guy who's probably still alive as scripture because he says, the scripture says, and then he quotes what, what Luke say, right? 
Luke is quoting Jesus when Jesus says, a worker deserves his wages. The Old Testament says, an ox may not be muzzled when it's treading out the grain. Now, we're not farmers, so let me do my best to tell you what this means. You have two oxen. One ox, two oxen. That's English. Now we go to farming. A yoke is on, two, on those two oxen. Yokes them together. They would either be walking around in a circle with a pole from the center onto these oxen, and they would be walking round and round in a circle. In the middle, there is a big rock that's turning on top of another rock, and what would happen is you'd throw in the grain there, and either it would make flour, or else it could thresh it so that it could separate the wheat from the chaff. Right? That's one way it could be done. The other way it could be done is you would have these oxen walking round in a circle with a rope tied to a pole, and somebody just chasing them around or leading them around in a circle. As they did that, they walked on top of the wheat and it broke the wheat off from the, from the chaff. That's the second way. The third way is, uh, is that these oxen would be dragging a sled, big sled with two big pieces of wood coming out in the front and underneath that there would be stones. And as the sled gets dragged across the wheat, so it would break up the wheat together. Now what the pagan nations would do is they would muzzle the ox so that the ox can't eat the grain. Because after all, they don't want to waste the grain. So why, why let the ox eat the stuff while it's busy treading it out? God said this to his people. When you're threshing the grain or when you're grinding the grain, do not muzzle the ox. It must be able to eat from its labor. When you do that, it shows your kindness. When you do that, it shows my kindness. So God, in, when God gives us rules and laws... They, they're not there to say, oh, you can't do this. Every law that God gives in the scripture reveals something of his character. And God says, do not commit adultery. It's to show how faithful he is. Example, all right? So he says already over here, we're going to give double honor. For the scripture says, and it talks about, it, it seems payback over here. So we, we already know that that double honor has something to do with payback. Verse 19 do not admit a charge against an elder except on the evidence of two or three witnesses. And the reason why we do that is for confirmation. So somebody doesn't come out and just say whatever they like. There's got to be confirmation about this. As for those who persist in sin, rebuke them in the presence of all so that the rest may stand in fear. Uh, if you're an elder and you get rebuked, that rebuke happens publicly. It doesn't happen privately. It happens publicly. And the reason why we do that is so specifically the rest of the elders can stand in fear, generally that the rest of the members will stand in fear. And we realize, hey, sin is serious. God says rebuke the elder publicly. In the presence of God, if you didn't get this, Timothy, in the presence of God and of Christ, so God and of Christ Jesus, and of all the elect angels, these are the angels not including the demons, this is God's angels, those who have been faithful to the Lord, I charge you to keep these rules without prejudging doing nothing from partiality. In other words, don't show favoritism. So don't be kind to the elder who's been an elder for 20 years. Don't be kind to the elder just because he's like the main guy who teaches. You know, so you treat that guy differently the way you treat the other guy. So this elder's just become an elder and you treat him differently to the one who's been an elder in the church for ages. Don't show any favoritism. Specifically to elders, but as you read James, you know what James says? It's like, hey, don't even show favoritism. Don't have a special place for rich people and another place for poor people, right? You don't have a special place at the back for certain members. You know, somebody comes to the front, you're like, excuse me, you can't sit there. That's for these people. 
our influential members, they sit there. No, we, we, James is like, uh-uh, we don't do that. Then verse 22, he says, Do not be hasty in the laying on of hands, nor take part in the sins of others. Keep yourself pure. Now, imagine Paul's writing this, and he's thinking deeply of Timothy, and he's, he's writing to Timothy about laying the plumb line for elders and for church leadership, and he, and he gets to this point of keep yourself pure, and he's thinking of Timothy and Timothy being pure, and then he remembers, actually, Timothy Timothy's a bit sick. I remember Timothy, he's, he's not altogether that well. I know he's got a problem with his stomach and he's got a couple of ailments. So then he kind of digresses a little bit. It's like Paul, he takes a sideways, he's having this conversation, but then he's like, oh, by the way. And he says this, no longer drink only water, but use a little wine for the sake of your stomach and your frequent ailments. And then he goes back again and he says, uh, the sins of some people are conspicuous, uh, going before them to judgment but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are conspicuous, and even those that are not cannot remain hidden. So let, let me just step out of here quickly, and then we'll go back to this one over here. Hey, Timothy, um, I don't want you to only drink water. Actually, I want you to drink some wine for your stomach and for your, for your ailments. Um, so I was uh, interested as I was doing some, some research, I stumbled across this, um, that in the, the old times, um, Bible times, Water actually wasn't as pure as what it is now. Now you go and you buy a bottle of water and it's, it's so pure, it's got no minerals in it. They have to put more minerals in it for you. It's like, this is special mineral added water, you know? Um, and, uh, and so water is so pure, but it wasn't like that in the early days. In fact, this, they would tell you that there are times where, where, where whole villages would just die out because their water source got contaminated. And there was no way to actually keep it pure. I mean, all you needed was someone to not wash their hands properly and then go wash their hands in the water source, one little E. coli in there, and everybody gets sick and dies. So people were afraid of that. And so what people did is people often drank wine, not more wine than what they were drinking water. I know some of you are like, woohoo! <laughs> Let's go and have something to drink. But before you go there, in your mind, just remember, it's the same Paul who said, don't get drunk on wine. Okay, don't, don't get drunk on wine. So, uh, so that's important to know. Paul is saying to Timothy, you're drinking too much water. Your stomach is not well. You need to take some of this wine for, as, for medicinal purposes. Again, some of you are like, ooh, let's have a medicine party. No, no, <laughs> no that's not what he's saying. All right? You say you take this for medicinal purposes. That doesn't mean you can only have a glass of wine for medicinal purposes, by the way. All right? Some of you are like, I oh, see, only for medicine. No, no, not only for medicine. This, this little line over here tells us a couple of things. One, it tells us it's okay to have a glass of wine. It does mean, if you read the rest of Paul, it is not okay to get drunk on wine. It also says this, is that if you are a church leader or a Christian and you are sick, there's not something wrong with you. Okay? Some would argue that if you're a Christian and you are sick, it's because there's something wrong with you. You have done something wrong. You have sinned and you are sick because of that sin. Not necessarily. Maybe, but not necessarily. Yeah, you've got a person who's leading a church who Paul is writing to and he's sick. He's got some ailments. The other thing is that if you are sick, it is okay to take medicine. Paul says, hey, you're sick, take some wine for your ailments. 
And so there are those who teach. If you are sick, it's because of your sin. If you're sick, you're not a true Christian. You should have more faith and you won't be sick. And also if you are sick, don't take medicine. That's, that's false teaching because they've obviously never read Timothy. Okay, because we've just seen it. It's as clear as day right there. Now, let's go back again. And uh, he says, some people's sin is evident and that's obvious because we've just checked this verse that says, if, if he's caught in sin, rebuke him publicly. And then some of us might be going, oh my goodness. Um, I have sinned publicly. It could be exposed publicly. And Paul goes, yeah, for some people, their sin is public. It's clear to see. Others of us might be at that point going, thank goodness no one knows about this sin. I can't get rebuked publicly. Paul goes, that's okay. Because even the private sin is eventually going to come out. Okay? Some of you might be going, oh man, I might have done this, but you know, I, I've really tried hard to, to serve well. Paul goes, hey, the things you've done well are evident. People can see that. But I want you to know even the things you've done well that no one knows about, that you feel like, oh, nobody knows. Even that's going to come out one day. So Paul's got a, th this little section over here, he's, he's trying to tell Timothy, Timothy, there's a way that the church can honor the elders and the elders can honor church. And that's the kind of church we want. We don't want to build church, Timothy, where elders lord it over their people and like, hey, I said you will. That's, that's not what they want to do. Also, don't want to have a church where the, the elders are like, guys, let's go take the mountain. And the members are like, uh-uh, we're going to stay here. No, we're not doing that. The elders are like, come on, guys, let's make Jesus first. And everyone's like, no, don't, don't think so. We're not going to do that. He's going, there's got to be this, this, this two-way street here. There's got to be strong leadership, strong accountability. Strong respect and honor, strong care back at the same time. Here are some words that describe elders in, in the scriptures. Pastor, overseer, and elder. These are three words that are used. The word pastor is only used once in the New Testament, by the way. But as a function, it's used to describe elders. And, and pastor would, over, would describe the function of elder, that one who leads the church, those who lead the church, as shepherding or feeding. That's where shepherding and feeding comes in. Overseer, he that word carries authority and leadership. So those who are elders are spoken of as pastors, overseers, or elders. And pastor speaks about our shepherding function. And for you, the ten, um, we've we've tried as a as a as a church to to ensure that there are elders who would look after specific congregations. And so for you, it's Vickers and Retiff and Trevor. If you came to the six, it would be Dave and it would be Howard. If you came to the eight, it would be Trevor and it would be um, uh, Luke. If you were at the ridge, it would be Matt and Roger and Mark. And so we try to ensure that our congregations can be shepherded well. Because otherwise, how do you just shepherd everybody? And let's be intentional and specific about that. So there's shepherding and feeding. There's the authority that comes with an overseer and leading. An elder speaks about spiritual maturity. There's an expectation that those who lead are spiritually mature. And this can be confused, and we'll talk about that a little bit later. So here are some commands. We're commanded to honor those who lead us. And when I say this, I'm not just speaking about you are commanded to honor me because I lead. I'm going, we are commanded to honor those who lead us because all of us have those who, who lead us. And so just like you, as you honor the elders who lead you, so I honor the elders who lead me. They, they lead me as well. Because while I might be an elder, I'm still a member of the congregation. And as elders, we're responsible not only to lead those who are not elders, but we're responsible to lead those who are elders also. We're ac accountable to each other. Where elders see each other maybe straying or making wrong decisions, we're accountable to each other to say, hey, Matt, hey, Vickers, we think that you, you might be moving into some dangerous territory of you. Be careful. 
you're overworking yourself. You're too busy. You're not busy enough. You're being a bit lazy. <laughs> those are the conversations that we need to have with each other as well. So we are commanded to honor those who lead us. 1 Timothy 5 verse 17. These are some of the words that come out in that. Who rule well. They must rule well. Guys, we are, we are commanded to rule well. Those who rule well are considered worthy of double honor, not just honor. Double honor. So here's a scripture. You might just page back if you go back to Romans. Uh, Romans chapter 12. It isn't up there, but listen to what it says. Verse 9. I've just been so challenged by this. I think I might preach 9 through to 21 at some point. But here we go. Verse 9 says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Remember last week we spoke about brothers. Loving younger men as brothers. Loving older men as fathers. Older women as mothers. Younger women as sisters. Brotherly affection. Here we go. Outdo one another. This is, be competitive, all right? Be competitive and outdo one another in showing honor. Okay, church? Outdo one another in showing honor. You're like, yeah, but that person doesn't show me honor. Then it should be so much easier for you to outdo them, wouldn't it? That person doesn't show any honor to anybody. Well, it would be easy for you to do more honorable things than them. Outdo one another with honor. 1 Timothy 3 verse 1 says that this task of being an elder is a noble task. Honor them because what they're doing is noble. They might make some mistakes. That's okay. They make mistakes because they're human. They're doing what they do because of Jesus. And so they might make some mistakes, but let's honor them anyway. It's a noble task. 1 Peter 5, 2 to 3 tells us as elders, shepherd the flock. Exercise oversight, not domineering over those um, in your charge, but setting an example. We set an example. Now that's specifically to elders, but actually for all of us, we're all meant to be those examples. The reason why God is so interested in actually dealing with elders who have strayed a little bit is because we're meant to be an example to others. We're meant to be an example to the church of what the church should be like. Those, those characteristics in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3 of, of what an elder must be, those, those, that list, that guideline, the criteria, we're all supposed to be like that. That's why he gives it for elders, because we're supposed to be the example, and you're supposed to follow us. So he's going, hey, man, when there's a mistake here, when there's an issue, we need to deal with it. 1 Thessalonians 5, 2, these are some of the words that he uses over there. Respect those who labor among you and are over you. Respect them. Esteem them very highly. Not just esteem them. Esteem them very highly in love. I, I like that because it means when they're not esteemable, your love might keep them esteemed very highly in your heart. Hebrews 13, obey your leaders and submit to them. Let them lead, later on, my italics, let them lead with joy, it says. Let it be joyful. Some of you are small group leaders. And you prepare, and, uh, and, and, then, and then you send out the verse, and you go, I mean, the, 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 the WhatsApp, and you're like, hey, guys, just want to remind you, small groups meeting tonight, can't wait, um, just been so challenged on this area of prayer, you know, see you guys at seven, and no one comes. Everyone's like, I'm not going to do a prayer thing. That's because you heard that the Oak Next Door is doing one on the end times. And you're like, whoa, look at that. That group's doing something on the end times. I'm going there. I'm not going there. Now, this poor guy is meant to lead with joy. He spent the whole day preparing, and he's ready to go for joy and, and, and talk to you about prayer and how great it is. And you're like, no, I'm not going to that. 
that's on a small thing. I mean, imagine his joy just completely shattered because we're meant to be a small group and a community on a journey together. We all agreed this would be really cool to talk about this, but then when I did, we'd bummed out on that one. Sometimes it works like that in church as well. Sometimes we're like, ah, you know what? I just found out that that guy's preaching. I don't like that guy, or I don't like the way he preaches. So I'm going to go to the other church when he preaches. This is one of the, the reasons why we don't, if, you, if you're visiting, we don't advertise who preaches here at Sterling. We just catch them off guard over here. <laughs> Otherwise, no one would come. Because <laughs> what you don't know is you're only going at quarter two. I'm going to finish about there. And I go, that guy preaches too long, so I'm not going to church when he preaches. Here are some of the things elders, uh, not elders, those who are commanded to honor elders. Here it is generally. We're commanded to do this for each other. But we need to give double honor to those who do this well or with excellence. Double honor, respect them, esteem them highly in love, obey them, submit to them, think well of them. This is when we receive, we hear something, a thought drops into our minds about a negative thought about someone who's a leader over us, specifically elders. We, uh, we think well of them. We choose to think well versus think bad. Because you don't only do it of the elders, the elders do it of you. Because, I mean, this is a big church. I can't tell you how many times I walk into a shop or walk into town somewhere and somebody bumps into me like, oh, no, that person who comes to your church, you know what they just did? And I'm going like, I feel like you've just taken a dump truck and just dumped it into my life. I didn't ask for that. I don't want to know that. Because you having a fight with that person, now you actually want me to have a fight with them too. And so if they did do that, let me sort it out. But if they didn't, can I come back to you? And can I hold you accountable for the lie you've just told me? And so we think best of each other. We think better of each other. And those who lead, this is what we're meant to do. We're meant to rule well. We're meant to aspire to the office. And that means if we're going to aspire to it, we need to make sure that it has a good reputation. That the office of elder in our church, guys, has got a good reputation. That the others will aspire to be elders and people don't look at that and go, there's no way I'm going to be an elder. I don't want to be part of that group. Shepherd the flock. Exercise oversight. Be an example. Labor. Work at it. Admonish people. Keep watch. We're commanded to honor those who lead us. Secondly, honor, honoring those whose labor is the word by paying them well. Okay, it's Very exciting if you don't normally come to church because pastors always speak about money. I'm sorry that you arrived here today. Um, but maybe God's saying something to you. Um, but what this verse is saying is it says, those who lead well are worthy of double honor, especially those, especially those whose job it is to preach and to teach. The double honor does have something to do with remuneration. It's not just honor. Oh, yeah, you're a good man. Oh, well done. It's not two pats on the back. It's not stand at the door and when the preacher walks past you, good sermon, pastor, good sermon, pastor. So everything's double. That's not what this is. There is a sense of remuneration that goes with, with this. But it's not exorbitant remuneration. The, the, the heart that comes with this is, we should be paying those whose life it is, preaching and the word, 
who've given themselves to this calling, it should be our goal to pay them well enough that they don't have needs. Not well enough so that they can live luxurious, opulent lives better than the richest person in the church, but so that they, their needs are met. It is not good that if your children are going to school, I can't afford to send my children to school. Okay? That's what that means. It's not good that if you don't have a car, no one in this church has a car, or very few of you do, most of you are using public transport. It's not good that I'm able to buy a brand new car for me and my wife. That's not good. In the early days, uh, in that, that intertestamental period between Malachi and Matthew, there are 400 years between the Old Testament and Matthew, during those times when, when synagogues were set up around the world, there were some guidelines for synagogues to be set up. Here was the general guideline. You needed 10 men, 10 Jewish men, to set up a synagogue. Do you know why 10 men to set up a synagogue? Because if 10 men are tithing, then the synagogue ruler can earn the average of the 10 men. That's what it means. 10 men tithing, the guy can have an average salary. He's not earning more than the richest, but he's not also earning less than the poorest. For a very long time in churches, and it's not like that at Sterling, so I can preach this with a clear conscience. It's not, I'm not trying to get more money, all right? So please just know that I'm not. For a very long time, churches were not able to pay their pastors fair salaries. So what would happen is, you in the church, or us in the church, we would go, well, we know he's not earning that much, so, so you know what, we'll, we'll allow him to come to, I'll allow him to come to my pharmacy and get medicine for free. I'm a doctor, I'll treat him for free as a doctor. Um, I've got a house, he can stay in my house for free. As long as he's a pastor at the church, he can stay in my house, or he can stay in a manse for free. Um, uh, you know what, we own a shopping center, so we'll give him groceries for free, him and his wife for free. I own a clothing store, we'll give him discount on clothing. And so, so pastors, while they earned little, there were maybe some benefits that they got by people giving and sowing into their lives. People are still generous like that, and as pastors, we still benefit from things like that. Uh, when we go on, Anthony and I go on holiday, we enjoy some of your holiday homes. You let us use your homes for holidays. And that saves us truckloads of money. And we really appreciate that. But what we're talking about over here is paying the person a salary that they're not in need anymore. I have friends who benefited from that era of church ministry who, while many of their peers in the same age group who are not in ministry are now living in retirement complexes or they, they, they have bought their own homes and are able to live on the income of that rental income, they have nothing. In the last years of their lives, they don't even have their own home to stay in because they've lived in manses, and they've lived off kind the whole time while they're in ministry. It's our goal as a church to be able to pay our pastors competitive salary, ministry competitive salary, and the way we, judge, we work that out in our church is we pay our pastors on the scales that teachers get paid. Okay, so teachers, the way teachers get paid, that's how our pastors get paid. And we do that so that, so that our pastors are able to have enough to live. Do we think we could pay them more? Do we think they deserve more? Yes. Yes, we do. Do we think that we can afford more? No, we can't. 
So we pay them the best we can because the Bible says they deserve double honor. And sometimes you might want to bless one of them and that's great, you go for it, all right? But this does speak about that and it does speak about responding well. And, and for some of you, you might be in a place one day where you're not in this church, but you move to another town and you find yourself in another church. I want to encourage you, ensure that your church that you go to or perhaps the church you're visiting from today, ensure that it's paying the pastor well. Not so that the pastor can be richer than everybody else, but so that the pastor can live well. Here's what's important. 1 Peter chapter 5 and verse 2 says that using the ministry for wealth, that that's dishonest gain. That it's not right for me to abuse the congregation to become rich. That's not right. Ministry, you don't get into ministry to become rich. That's not why we do this. And, Paul, and Peter reminds us about this. Paul says that, that elders must be people who are not lovers of money. But it doesn't say they must be poor. It doesn't say ensure that your pastor lives a poverty-stricken life while you don't. Because then you're the lover of money. It says it's look after them well. We must also, Paul goes later on in, in, in chapter 6 of 1 Timothy, he says, learn the value of contentment. That, that speaks to us as pastors. Learn the value of contentment. Your church might not be able to pay you. They want to pay you more, but they might not be able to pay you more. Learn contentment. Stop hitting the money drum all the time. Basically, that's what it means. And so, we live with contentment. But that's not just for pastors. That's also for all of us. Because remember, we're supposed to be the example. I read a story of one pastor and his, uh, his uh, finance committee. They gave him an increase. And he went back to this finance committee and he goes, guys, I can't earn this. is way too much money. He says, what am I going to do with all of this money? And they said to him, we are going to pay you that. You know what you're going to do with all of it? You're going to show us how we're supposed to live when we have money. Do you get that? No, I'd rather not have that, actually. But he says, that's on the one side. And the other side is we don't want to be paid people so little that they can't live, that all he's worrying about is where, what school he can send his kid to, where food is going to be coming. Can he, can, can he afford medical aid? Uh, will he be able to take his wife to, to, to a hospital to have a baby? Or like, what do, what do we do? How do we, you, don't, you don't want people living like that. So be content is, is where God's word goes. So honor those by paying them, those whose labor is the word, by paying them well to cover their needs. Honor, next one, honor by guarding their character. So, so I'm going to get to the elders now, but this is, this is your job. This is how church honors elders. Guard their character. Because God's word talks about this, that there's two very dangerous things in church. One is division. That's when churches start divide amongst themselves. And God speaks about this. In Titus, it says this, the divisive person, you warn them once, you warn them a second time, and then you have nothing to do with them. That's how, that's how serious God takes division. You do not entertain somebody who's divisive because it can divide the church, and that's dangerous for church. God doesn't, because the body of Christ shouldn't be dividing. We're an example to the world of God's grace and kindness and love and unity, and what are we doing? We're separating the whole time. Church splits are not great. They're sad. They're terrible. Can you imagine what it must be like as a preacher, as a pastor, preaching every Sunday, and then all of a sudden, this half of the building go, you know what? We're leaving. We, we, we cannot reconcile with you. We don't agree with you. We're leaving. And then you go and under the leadership of another elder, start another church down the road. Imagine what that must be like. 
Saturday mornings, I'm kind of working through my sermon and, and get the newspaper, and there's an advert just down the road. There's that church with my friend who was an elder with me, and he's leading the church down the road. And I'll lead this one over here, and I arrive, and there's only half the people. We're feeling like really despondent because where did everybody else go? Man, it's just terrible. That's not great. We don't want that. We want to work really hard. And so to do that, we need to protect each other's reputations. You see, integrity erosion is a bad thing. This is the other dangerous thing is integrity erosion. It's when the enemy comes in, he just erodes, erodes your integrity or someone else's integrity in your mind. And he, just, he does it by running the water of just a little thought here and a little thought there and a little comment here and a little comment there. And before you know it, you actually believe it. What Paul says is this, do not entertain a charge against an elder. Not even formally, just don't do it. Somebody comes and says to you, oh, you know what, I saw Jack. And Jack did this. What Paul's saying is don't even let that thought in your mind. You don't even let it in. But what happens if Jack is doing that? What if Jack is doing that? Well, we move on, Paul, because Paul does deal with it. The reality is we need to protect each other. I need to protect you. You need to protect me. I don't sweep your sin under the mat. You don't sweep my sin under the mat. But I protect your reputation. When the person in the city who's angry with you sees me and says, oh, that person in the church, you know what they're doing? I'm going, just hang on. I don't know what they've done to you, and I don't know what you've done to them. But if this is something really serious, I'm willing to meet with you and that person. That's the biblical route right there. We need to protect each other's reputations. Think the best of each other. Just go, you know what? I've known that guy for so long, I can't see him really doing that. Maybe he did, but I don't know why he would do that. But I know him well enough to know he doesn't do that. He doesn't act like that naturally. Something must have gone on in his life that that happened, and maybe we need to have that conversation. So we guard each other's character. But elders, we honor the church by exposing our sin. We expose the sin within our ranks. He says, if you see someone sinning, if one of these elders persist in sin, this means they continue to sin. Someone said, hey, that guy's done something. You brought a charge. Hey, these guys have said you've done this over here. No, I didn't. No, I didn't. I don't need to apologize. No, you are doing it. You know you're doing it. You ripped that guy off. You bought a new car with the money that you got from ripping him off. No, I didn't rip him off. You charge him exorbitant rates. Well, that's business. No, well, that's not eldership. That's wrong. The Bible says that when somebody does that and they don't, they're not willing to make right, well, here it says when he persists in it, you go, listen, we just need to tell you something. We're going to call Jack up here right now. Jack, you want to come up? No? Okay, that's fine. Friends, we need to tell you Jack has abused his position in the city. He's got a bad reputation with outsiders, and we're going to rebuke you right now in front of everybody. What you did in that situation was wrong. How many of you like to be in a service like that? Not out of curiosity, but just... I'd hate to be in a congregation like that. I'd hate to be in a service like that. Why does Paul say you do that? Because it strikes fear to the rest of the elders. The rest of us are going, is there anything, anywhere that I could get called out on? But not only the elders, you as well. There is a place where we need to have fear, and it's fear for the holiness of God. God is a holy God. And the reason why we call each other out on things is not because we want to be policemen, but because we love God and we love each other. That means that we have to differentiate between criticism and a charge. He says, don't admit a charge without witnesses. Criticism is this. I hate the fact that Matt preaches so long. Can you please raise that with him? I've got three witnesses. He pre well, what would you like us to do? Kick the guy out because he preaches five minutes longer? Don't answer. Um, 
Is, is, that, is that what we want to do? Now, do you think that, that, that does that disqualify him? I, mean, I think that we need to kick Matt out because he said he'd pay his debt and he didn't. I think we need to raise this with Matt. He's racked up debt all over the city. And there are people who've had to close down their business because he's not paying them back. And he's an elder in the church. I think we need to deal with that. That's a charge. That's not criticism. Criticism is I don't like your style. Charge is you've done something wrong. And if there's a charge, we go and we investigate it well. And so you might bring a charge against somebody in the church or go, hey guys, I'm aware of this thing that just happened and you tell the elders about it and we go and investigate it. You might think that we're not doing anything about it. We're investigating it. We're studying it well. We want to see. Can you imagine we bring this guy Jack up and go, hey, right, everybody, Jack, dishonest gain over here. This is what he did. And he goes, what are you talking about? I bought that second car with inheritance. My uncle died. I didn't do business with that person. In fact, I paid them back. He has the, he has the bank slip. I paid the money back. I don't know what this person's talking about. The person, I call, sorry, I forgot to check my bank statement. Sorry, I didn't know. Make sure we investigate it well. Otherwise, you can really harm people and the reputation of Christ as well. Don't sweep our sin under the rug. Not just for elders, but for all of us. We honor the church by, by not sweeping our mistakes under the rug. Guys, you'll know a couple of times we've had a, where we've made mistakes. This is different to a sin. This is mistakes. Where we've had people preaching over here before and we've, felt totally wrong what they said and we've come to you and we said guys we want to apologize we should have investigated that better what the person said was wrong and we've had to respond like that to you and we deal with substantiated charges lastly let's close out here elders honor the church by not ordaining new elders too soon why does this honor the church in this case slower is better Elders are meant to pastor people. That means uh, feed them well, shepherd them. They're meant to be overseers. They're meant to lead them. We're meant to exercise authority over you. We're meant to admonish you. We're meant to show you where you're wrong. But we're also supposed to be spiritually mature. That's why the, the word elder is used. It implies spiritual maturity. The problem with spiritual maturity is that spiritual maturity can be confused for gifting or gifting can be confused for spiritual maturity. Wow, that guy preaches well. He'd make a good, good elder. No, he'd make a good preacher. Wow, have you heard the way that guy prays? He should be an elder. No, he should lead the prayer meeting. Wow, that guy led the youth ministry well. He should be an elder. No, he should be a youth pastor. Man, have you seen how committed that guy is? He should be an elder. No, he could be a deacon, but not an elder. He's committed. That guy's so loyal to our church. I've seen him defend our church. He loves our church. He should be an elder. No. He, that's the example of every church member. We should all be like that. Being an elder requires a level of spiritual maturity. So in this case, sometimes it's better to go slow than go fast. Because it's really hurtful if the church goes, Hey, Matt, we think you should be an elder. And then they bring me up on stage and lay hands on me and pray, set me apart to be an elder. But it becomes very evident that quickly into the journey, I don't have the level of spiritual maturity to handle the office. And I'm starting to make mistakes and I'm starting to hurt people and I'm starting to get hurt. And then the elders have to go, okay, guys, sorry, church, we made a mistake. We're removing Matt from eldership. The hurt and pain in Matt's life, his family's life, your disillusionment. Can we trust the elders? They, they told us this guy's an elder, elder material. Now he's not. Get it? Going slow is better when it comes to this. 
how do we wrap this whole big picture up today? Elders honoring church, church honoring elders. How do we, how do we wrap that up? Guys, we are an elder-led church. It means that we're led by a team of men. Not Matt leads the team of men. We're led by a team of men who are elders. I lead that team as far as this is the time the meeting happens. I lead that team in as far as, hey, guys, here's something that's happening in the church. I think we should look at it this way. But we lead together. Some might think they're a bunch of yabrus. I would say have a look at the quality of these men over here and ask yourself, is it possible that men who have this character are able to walk into a room, sit back, be a bunch of yabrus, and then walk out and lead as well as they're leading out in the city? I don't think so. At least I don't think I'm that level of leader who can just, you know, push those guys down. We lead together. We dream together. We pray together. We have robust theological debate together for the sake of the church. We want to be that kind of church. We want to be a kind of church where, where there is openness. And that's why I told you about that email address. that we, try. we want to have that openness that you feel like you can communicate with the elders about anything at any time. And you don't think, oh, well, Matt's vetting it, because I, I don't. You don't think, like, oh, Matt doesn't tell the elders about that. We don't want you to ever feel like that. We want you to feel, I can follow these people, and we want our elders to feel we are, we are leading these people. We want to feel like these, that you as a congregation are following us, and we want you to feel like, man, I'll go with those guys to war. But that's utopia. We are all human beings who sin regularly, and we will let each other down. And that's why we have to work hard at outdoing each other with honor. We have to. We have to work hard on this. And for us to do that, we need to understand Jesus, and we need to understand his love for us so we can love each other. We need to understand his grace for us in giving us what we don't deserve so we can give to each other what they don't deserve or what we think they don't deserve. We need to protect each other's integrity, remembering that Jesus protects ours. Because Jesus can do anything which means Jesus could start a website today called mattsins.com and everybody could log in there and watch my sin in real time. But he doesn't. He guards my integrity. When I say, God, I'm so sorry I've blown it, he takes my sin as far as the east is from the west. He remembers it no more. And so if I'm going to respond like that, I need to know my sin has been remembered no more. I need to remember the sin of others against me no more. We need to understand Jesus to do this. Some of you have come from backgrounds where church leaders have really hurt you. Some of you have come from churches where that's happened. Some of you have maybe been hurt here. Some of you have been hurt by people in church. As we close out this morning, you guys are the most blessed of all the congregations because we get to share this communion meal together. I think we should share it at all the services, but you guys get it today. This is a great place for us to finish off and just go, God, thank you for Jesus who died for me and gave me grace. In your presence, the presence of Christ Jesus and all the elect angels, I want to commit myself to honoring you by honoring our elders. I want to honor you by honoring people in our church. I want to honor you by outdoing one another, outdoing people in giving honor. And so I want to ask you to bow your head and and perhaps there's a prayer you need to pray. Perhaps there's a sin you need to confess today. Maybe there's a hurt you need to bring to the cross today. And I'm going to ask those who are serving communion, if you'll come to the front and you'll wait with me. And then I'm going to pray and we're going to have communion together and close out our service. But let's bow our heads together.
this morning as we prepare our hearts to uh, share this meal, this ancient meal, a picture of your grace and new covenant with us, a picture of how you don't sweep our sin under the rug, you deal with it, but you forgive it, and when it's gone, it's gone. A picture of how you lead us tenderly as a shepherd and how we need to lead as a shepherd picture of Jesus, how you followed the will of the Father and how we should also follow you. Father, where those have been hurt, would you come and bring healing this morning? Lord, for those who are very aware of sin in their own lives today, would you, as they bring that confession before you, would you wash over them with the forgiveness of the Holy Spirit? Father, we thank you for this cup the blood of Jesus. We thank you for this bread, the body of Christ, shed and broken for us so that there can be second chances and new beginnings. In Jesus' name, amen. Friends, we're going to be passing out the elements. I'd ask if you'll hold on to them. And once everybody's got, we're going to eat and drink together as a family and we'll close out our service like that together.
Does everybody have, have we missed anybody? Are we sure that they have in the mom's room? If we've missed the mom's room and there's anyone in there, could you just let us know? All right, guys, let's stand together and um, let's eat and drink. Eat the body of Christ broken for you and let's drink together the blood of Christ shed for you. Jesus, today as we close out, we uh, are reminded um, in this very tangible way of uh, the importance of your body, the church, your body broken for us, how seriously you take your body, uh, the leadership of your body, the followership in your body. God, we want to honor you in that. Lord, would you help us to do that? God, where there's been hurt and pain and sadness, where there's been good stories, where there's been great leadership, God, where it's been great, it's probably all because of you. And where it's been bad, it's all because of us. So God, would you wash over forgiveness where it's needed? Would you restore broken hearts where they're broken? God, wherever we go, where we work, live, and play, Lord, would you help us to protect each other's integrities? God, would you help us to, to show the world what the church of Jesus Christ looks like and how beautiful that is? In Jesus' name, and those who agreed said amen. Amen. God bless everybody.